Well, the sermon this morning, the text is going to be Philippians 1, verses 3 through 7, and I've entitled it, Thanksgiving, Joyful Prayer, and Jesus' Perseverance. I hope that this will bless you. It's uh, one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible, and uh, I think you'll see why here in a few minutes. In fact, we've already referred to some of it in some of the songs we've been singing. Before I was called to the ministry, I had an oil and gas exploration business uh, for 12 years, which I started and I ran. There was a lot of risk involved in drilling oil and gas wells, involved a lot of time, money, and often disappointments. It's not fun to get a dry hole. And so when something was successful, we had some oil and gas that was being produced, then I would rejoice. I'd be thankful. But before that happened, I had to find investors. You know what, I didn't like getting on the phone and calling people and saying, hey, will you invest with me? That wasn't my favorite thing to do, and I don't think that's most of our uh, favorite things to do. And so anyway, so I, then I had to find geologists, so you have to find good places, promising places to drill uh, oil and gas well. And then I had to find drilling companies that would actually drill the hole for me, so I'd subcontract that out. Then I had to arrange with landowners because somebody owned the land, but now you have to have the right to come in and you had to negotiate uh, what the deal was going to be, how much they would get out of it and how much we would get out of it. And then I had to find accountants. I had to find places to rent offices and I had to find uh, what it was like to transport the oil and gas to market. So all of this took place before the first drill bit began to turn. And so when something turned out to be successful, a well was there and we saw the oil and gas being transported out, great joy filled my heart. I was so, so thankful. Uh, and so, so we find Paul in a similar situation, even though he's dealing with gospel issues, but there's still a lot of risk. And there's a lot of investment that goes in with the church at Philippi before anything really came to fruit. So as he's writing this epistle, this letter to them from prison, he's not morose, he's not dejected, and he doesn't feel like a victim. Sometimes we don't realize that when Paul was in jail, uh, he was often going around with a guard that was with him all the time and he was chained to that guard. So it was a constant reminder of the difficult circumstances in which he found himself. So he didn't feel like a victim though. He was not a victim in his eyes. He was thankful and he was rejoicing. And that's because he was hit, he, fact, he felt like he had hit an oil gusher in Philippi. There was a beautiful and a wonderful church there that uh, had been established through his efforts. And so as he was writing this epistle, he was thankful and rejoicing for what God had done there. As we'll see in just a minute, Paul just sees himself as a slave of Christ. He's the one that presents the gospel. God is the one who established the church in Philippi. God is the one who saved the saints in Philippi. And God was continuing to do the work of the gospel through the saints 
there at, Gilippi, at uh, Philippi. And so what Paul's thinking is that, wow, all my sufferings, all the investment that I made there, all the risk that I was taking, which in this sense wasn't really risk at Philippi, but it felt like it at the time, was worth it. The kingdom of God was growing and increasing there and advancing. And so he's giving thanksgiving for what God had done. And for us, this is important this morning. Where is it that we're acknowledging what God is doing in and through us? And we're deeply thankful for what he's doing. You see, when, we, when we're thankful and we're seeing what God is doing, we're seeing ourselves as his love slaves as well then this is very important for our healthy state of mind, our emotional well-being, and also for the condition of our hearts. So what's gonna happen is that living for Jesus is gonna invest risk, and it's going to be an investment for us, but we're not alone as we're doing it. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul was writing this morning in verses three through seven. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Okay, let's look at the first point on our outline. Paul's thanksgiving for the saints at Philippi. So the first thing that we need to see is that Paul is thanking God. He's not taking credit. He's saying, I thank my God, right? That's important because so often as we go in our lives and see things happening, we are tempted to take credit, right? And so Paul was acknowledging all that had transpired in the planting of the church there at Philippi. And he was acknowledging that it was by God's direction and God's grace that it even got established. So when you go back to Acts 16, where we see more details on how all that took place, Paul was busy out in Western Turkey, what modern day Western Turkey, and he was uh, thinking about where he would go and he thought he had a plan in place and God decided to change that. Anybody here experience that? <laughs> We make our plans, but God gives the direction, right? So anyway, so he's, he's there uh, in Western Turkey and he got a vision one night, very supernatural thing to, have, to happen to him. And there was a man of Macedonia, which is Northern Greece and Europe, of course, who was urging him and saying these words, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called him preach the gospel there in Philippi, and that'll be the first church uh, in, in Europe. So Paul saw himself as God's instrument to bring the gospel, to bring the good news then to this new place, but God had directed him to get there. It wasn't his plan to go to Philippi. 
that God had his plan in place. And so it was Paul uh, reacting to what God had shown him. And, and so he went to Philippi. And so while he's there, he saw that God saved the people, not him. When uh, Paul met with Lydia outside the town of Philippi of a prayer meeting, God opened her heart, the scriptures say. God opened her heart and she received Christ and became a Christian in Philippi, a jail. The Philippian jailer's heart was opened as he responded to the gospel. Paul didn't do that. He was just the messenger. So Paul is not taking credit for all the things that had taken place there. And so we need to keep that in mind as we think about what God's calling us to do here in, in Stanton. We're the messengers. We're the ones that are quick to brag about our God and tell other people about the amazing things that he's done for us. The question is, how often are we sharing this great news that's happened? It's not a guilt trip. I'm just asking a general question. You know, do we even think about that? Because a lot of times we don't, do we? We're, for a variety of different reasons, I could give you a list of why we don't do that. But I'm not going to do that here this morning. <laughs> but are we slaves of Christ? Is that how you think about yourself? Because Paul tells us a number of times in Scripture to imitate me. But that's what he's talking about when he says imitate me. He's not being sacrilegious because we're supposed to be imitating Christ, of course. But what he's saying is in how I carry out my ministry, how I think about myself. Is that how you think about yourself? Are you a slave of Christ on Monday morning? on Tuesday morning, all the way through the week? Or if you're just in there busy trying to earn a living, watch the kids, whatever it is that you're doing during the week. And so these are serious questions that we need to think about. How are we being faithful witnesses day by day? How are we showing the love of Christ by word and deed into the people's lives who we meet every day? So these are important things for us as we go through each day. And so what we're really doing as we do is we're thanking God. Are you prepared every morning when you leave the house to go out on the mission field? Am I that slave of Christ going on to the mission field? And so God delights in us, whether we do or don't. This doesn't change his mind whether you're obedient. He still loves you. And so what we see here in these types of things, then Thanksgiving is a powerful force in each and one of all of our lives. We need to be full of thanksgiving. Just as Paul was thankful for how he was graciously saved by grace on the Damascus Road, we too should be thankful in how Jesus has saved us wherever we were saved. Most of us have a general understanding anyway when we became a Christian. So maybe we can think back on that this morning, even right now. When did you become a Christian? Where was that? And so we need to thank God about that. He did that. So God calls us then to worship him every Sunday. To worship him and to thank him, to praise him, to remember the great things that he's done for us. But the interesting thing about all this is that, Paul, that uh, God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our thanksgiving. He's not saying, you know, just come down and bow down before me. 
He's asking us to do it for what reason? Because you need to do it. And I need to do it. We're sinners saved by grace. And so as we thank God, we're reminded of who God is and how much he leads, loves us and delights in us. You know, our hearts quickly grow cold towards God and the things that he's done because of our sin nature. So let's say on Wednesday morning, by that time, you've probably forgotten what's happened here on Sunday morning. You're out there working really hard to earn a living, support your family, you know, take care of your family. And so being the sinner saved by grace, we're more focused on gaining the world than advancing the kingdom. We've got our own kingdom we're trying to build. And it's a tension that each one of us faces every day. It's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing, and we need to be aware of that in ourselves. Am I really a sinner? Or do I really think about myself as a good person? These are challenging things to think about because in some ways we are good people. In other ways, we still are sinners that we're struggling with particular sins and things going on. And, but so often about Wednesday, we're really trying to do things in our own strength, trying to build that kingdom, that trying to bring security to my family and taking care of them. And so the things in terms of advancing the gospel sometimes go in the background, don't they? We ask questions like, God, what have you done for me lately? I want you to do this for me. <laughs> and of course, he always loves to hear our prayers. That's not the issue. And often delights in giving us the things we ask for. But sometimes we aren't really smart about the things we ask for. And so God's there to straighten that out. The Holy Spirit intercedes and changes those prayers and they get before the throne of grace and, and God delights in that. So as we come here this morning and we're looking at worshiping God, the word worship is an interesting word that was derived from the old English word worthship. That's a hyphenated word, worthship. And what you're doing is giving God his worth. You're thinking about remembering the things that he's done for us. So this is something that is going on, and I encourage you, like every Sunday as you're coming to church, begin to think about the things that God has done for you, the amazing things that he's done for you. We looked at some of this last week. I'm just going to mention a few again right now just to remind everybody uh, of what we're talking about here. Maybe some of you are here this morning that weren't here last week. But first of all, we're new creations in Christ. You know, the... Greek words are kinekatesis, new creations. This is something that didn't exist before God saved you. And that's who you are now. There's, there's something spiritual that's happened and you're a new creation. That's amazing. You've got the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. We just sang a song that talked about that. This amazing work of the Spirit of God. And we know that the Holy Spirit is greater than our sin. Do we have confidence of the work that's taking place within us? That even when we see our sinfulness, then we also see the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in the sermon in a few minutes. And so as we see these other different gifts of forgiveness of sin, we already looked at that. 
We see that we've got Christ's righteousness. We already sang about that. We've got heavenly treasures that are ours because we share in everything that Jesus has. It's amazing. It's, it's a great, great thing. And so hopefully this gives us encouragement. We're reminded of these things. We need to rehearse these things. We need to practice these thankful things. And when we do, it brings us hope and encouragement. And our faith grows. It deepens and matures more and more. And so when you are facing difficult circumstances in life, we're not facing them alone. And you need to know that. You need to realize that. You need to be confident that you're never, ever alone. If there's not another human being that understands the trial you're going through, you're still not alone because God is with you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And so this is something we have to be conscious about. There's times we get discouraged and down and we're focused then on the trial we're going through. And so that's when we need someone else or maybe the Spirit of God working us sovereignly, but we begin to see and understand that God's even working through those circumstances, that he's creating Christ's likeness in us, the image of God. And he's also working through us into the lives of the other people that are watching us go through that circumstance. And so when we take our eyes off of the circumstance and get them back on the Lord and be thanking Jesus for that, then we see ourselves as victors, not victims. We're victors. We need to constantly keep that in mind. Even when negative things are happening, then God's even using those circumstances to conform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And that's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 are all about. Everybody knows Romans 8, 28. God works, you know, all things, to, you know, to, for good for those who are called according to his name and love him. But verse 29 tells us, well, what is, it, what is that good that he's working towards? It says Christ's likeness. So we're growing and maturing in Christ's likeness as we go through these different trials. So even in that, we're never alone as the work of the Spirit is continuing. You're never alone, ever. Never, ever alone. God is always watching over you and his grace is always gonna be sufficient for you. You may not always understand all that's going on and why God is doing certain things, but his love for you is never in question. His delight in you is to conform you into the likeness of his son and prepare you for heaven. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And so when we do these things, we thank God, then it fends off discouragement and victimhood. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, which Paul also wrote, says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Remember last week we talked about being in Christ. So in him is the same thing, right? So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Did you get that? Abounding in thanksgiving. Is that what would characterize our lives this week, this coming week? Can we abound in thanksgiving? This morning, can we abound 
in thanksgiving. This is really important that we understand that. You know, later on we see in Philippians 4, uh, 5 through 7, it talks about offering up prayers, right, for help. It says, with thanksgiving. So even when you're afraid, even when you're doubting, when you're anxious, even there it's with thanksgiving. Now I'm going to date myself a little bit right now, but... um, This is the best example I could come up with. So Walt Disney, many, many decades ago, (laughs) made this movie called Pollyanna. It's a good kids movie. If uh, kids haven't seen it, they'd probably like to see it. You can still get it. But anyway, Pollyanna was, uh, I don't know, about 12 years old. And she was uh, an orphaned missionary's daughter. And so she'd come back to the United States to... Uh, live with her aunt. So while she was on the mission field, because they were missionaries, they never had much money. And just like this church sends out packages to the missionaries, I guess annually, roughly, maybe more often, but anyway, sends out packages. So that's what had happened to her. So she would get these packages, or her father would get these packages occasionally. And so she had wanted a doll. You know, that's not a big deal, right? A doll? Yeah, that's pretty simple. You'd think they could put a doll in that. And so they were told, the mission, I mean, the uh, church was told, well, she wanted a doll. And uh, so when the package came in, you know, she was all excited about getting this doll. And it came in, and they opened it up. No doll. Well, she was deeply disappointed, and it really hurt her. She started feeling bad about herself, disappointed in the people that didn't, you know, supply it. And so she was talking to one of her new friends that lived near her aunt. And he asked her, well, how did you react to that? And so she said, well, my father taught me the glad game. And so he asked me to start thinking about all the things that I have and to be thankful for that. I'm thankful for good health. I'm thankful for mom and dad. Anyway, just kept going on, kept asking, you know, thanking God for things that she was uh, already in possession of. And what began to happen, she said, was that slowly but surely, as she focused on the things she had rather than the things she didn't have, that her heart began to become thankful. And the hurt and the pain, the disappointment began to fade and go away. Isn't that a great lesson? Because that's true of us today, if we will do that. Victimhood will disappear over time. May not happen the first second. You know, I used to have people uh, come to me uh, when I was full-time pastor of a church I was at. And they'd be discouraged and down the mouth. And so one of the things I used to ask them to do is I said, okay, I want you to go in the Bible and I want you to write out 50, 5 promises that you find in the Bible. And after about two weeks, they'd come back and they'd say, wow, that really did the job. There's so many promises that God has promised to me, and I'm so thankful for them. But again, it took some time. But as the Word of God began to speak to them through the power of the Holy Spirit to see what things they had, and the promises that they've already received, then this beautiful thing began to transform their hearts. So thanksgiving 
gladdens our hearts. It's a very powerful medicine for us. And that brings us to our second point, joyful prayer. Paul said in verse 4 that he was making his prayer with joy. Making his prayer with joy. So this is interceding prayer, inter- prayers of intercession. This is always prayers for other people and not for yourself, right? You pray for other people. And so he's thinking about other people. And especially people who are working in Philippi. People who are advancing the gospel there. And so as he's praying, he says his heart was joyful because he was in partnership with them. They have a common purpose. And so joy rose in his heart as he marveled at what God had done in Philippi. We need to look back just for a second to see what was going on because Paul's writing from jail, right? So in Acts 16, 22 and following, Paul recounts his suffering as he went there. Now these are things that are real to him, things that he actually went through. So it wasn't just mental, it was also physical suffering. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So even though Paul was back in jail after 10 years, he's now in a Roman jail, joy filled his heart because of this partnership in the gospel that he had with the Philippians. The church was growing. God was working through other people in Philippi now, extending and moving forward the gospel. People are coming to know Christ. So Paul seeing then his work there was worth it. It was worth it. Paul had been praying for them for over 10 years, faithfully. And his heart was filled with joy as he did. And that's what we need to do. Kent just gave a call this morning on the missionaries there in Scotland. Can we pray for them regularly? Can you get that up on your refrigerator and say, I am going to pray for the work that's going on there, just like Paul was praying for the work in Philippi. Can we partner in the gospel with them? Can you spare one, two minutes a day? Is that manageable in your calendar? And pray for the work that's going on there. Pray for them by name. Pray for them for building churches there. And you see, when you begin to do that, you're going to experience the same thing that Paul experienced. You're going to experience a joy as you pray for the work that's going there. God has called them over there to do that work. And now he wants us lifting them up in prayer, intercessory prayer. So I encourage you to do that. Okay, so then that brings us to our third point. Jesus' perseverance with the saints. Verse 6 says, and this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. What an incredible and exciting statement. We can't fail. We didn't start it. Jesus will get us through. For those who are theologically advanced, Jesus' perseverance with the saints is the P in TULIP. 
the five, one of the five points of Calvinism. This is fantastic. Our final home in heaven is already decided. That's our confidence. Isn't that amazing? Does that make your heart stir with joy? I hope it does. It's guaranteed. The journey's end is sure. By grace, we have joined in Christ's journey. By grace, he will take us home. And on the day of Christ, when Jesus returns, his work in us will be complete. It won't come up short. It will be complete. And so what does that mean? That means we'll no longer be able to sin. It means that you'll always love perfectly and you'll be loved perfectly. How's that look? You never tasted that. That's what you're looking forward to. Glory to God, right? Amen? Yeah. Let that sink in. Whoa. That's going to be for eternity. And so on that day, then our bodies will be raised from the dead and they'll be transformed and they'll become like Jesus' body. It's amazing. The mortal will become immortal. The perishable will become imperishable. It'll be impossible to change anything. Jesus has already determined it. It's already happened. And that's what's going to happen to you. You will live in a new heavens and a new earth. Think about that. It's glorious and wonderful. The angels will be rejoicing throughout heaven. Thousands upon thousands singing to the glory of God, seeing what he's done and taking these sinners, sanctifying them and glorifying them showing an amazing love of beyond comprehension because they've been watching all the time throughout history. They've been watching this work, what Christ has done and what he's going to finish on that day. So let's like dig just a little bit deeper here. Look into the details of what Jesus' perseverance with the saints uh, is really like as it works in us. First of all, Paul says it's a good work not a negative work. It's not a bad work. It's a good work. And God began that. You didn't start it. So with Paul, the good work began in him on the Damascus Road. With Lydia, just outside at a prayer meeting outside of Philippi, the good work began in her. With the Philippian jailer, it began at the jail. God gave, a, gave Paul a new heart. He gave Lydia a new heart. He gave the jailer a new heart. But he also gave them a new desire to please him and obey him. And that's an amazing thing that takes place. They would now want to partner in sharing the gospel. This is a work of God in you. Before you were a Christian, you had no interest in that. In fact, you would fight it. You would try to destroy it, just like Paul did. But now you want to advance it. Maybe you're a little hesitant right now how to do that, but you can talk to the elders or to me or Kent and find out how maybe you can enter in. You know, we've already mentioned the prayer for the, some of the missionaries. But it's done in word and deed. And so that means he's also created a good work in you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? He's begun a good work in you. And that's why we want to thank him this morning. And so 
as he's done that, now it continues through sanctification, which is also, some good songs were picked out this morning, Ron, thank you. So, <laughs> okay, all right. But anyway, they touched on some of the themes we're looking at here this morning. And so, uh, what is sanctification, really? It's growing Christ-likeness, or growing in the image of God. And it's something God does in us. That's, I don't create my own sanctification. I don't know how to change my heart. You don't know how to change your heart. You can exercise your will, but you have no idea how to change the desires in your heart. So, with that in mind, the definition of sanctification from the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. That's number one, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God or Christ's likeness and are enabled, empowered more and more to what? Die to sin. Die to sin and live unto righteousness. We're a work in progress. Again, sinners saved by grace. And that sin nature is still working in us. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than that. We can always overcome that, change our hearts and our desires so that we'll desire to uh, follow and obey uh, Jesus Christ. And so day by day, the sanctification process is taking place. Well, how does that work? It's because all of us have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as we read the Bible, we grow in our knowledge of the Bible, then the Holy Spirit who lives within us convicts us of sin. And when we're convicted of sin, we're not supposed to just feel bad about ourselves. What we, we, what's going on is we're seeing the truth about ourselves. You know, I really do tend to tell little white lies. I tend to look at things I shouldn't look at, right? I'm a little more prideful than I should be. Whatever, the list is huge and long. And so the point is, is that how do we react to that? And so what the Bible calls us to do, our part when we're convicted of sin, is not to feel shameful and guilty about it. That doesn't do any good. That's not helpful. It says we're to repent about it. And repentance means I pray. It means I go before the Lord. I, if you want to, get on your knees, whatever. But you do it as between you and God. You and God. And you say, Lord, I feel this conviction of sin. I'm convinced that it's true. And so now I want to come before you and I want you to change my heart. I want you to change the desires of my heart. So I don't want to do that anymore. That's a true change of heart. And so would you give me these new desires then that I can please and obey you. And so the result of this good work then, as we are being sanctified, is that we're growing in Christ-likeness. It's important that we continue this process. This should be an ongoing process. As you read the scriptures, you come here and hear sermons, wherever you are, you're listening to the word on a regular basis, you should be being convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin. That's normal. That's the way God has set it up. You're not to shy away from looking at your own heart and say, hey, I'm a sinner and you know, I really need to be changed. That's how we should be thinking. That's how I am. That's how you are. So how do I change? Well, I've got to take it to God and admit it. 
say, I agree with this. That's absolutely true. And I don't want to be like this anymore. And so you feel like great pressure. Lord, unless you change me, I can't be changed. So please, I beg you, help me to love my wife more. Help me to love my kids more. Help me to pray more. Help me, whatever it is, then God's there. And so anything you ask, that's what we heard earlier, right? In John 16. Anything you ask in my name, and this is what asking in Jesus' name is, ask according to my will, and I will provide it. I will answer that. So I want to gently ask you a question. Are you ready? When was the last time you repented? See, the more we want to grow like Christ, the more we're going to see an ongoing work of repentance and faith going on in our lives. So this is a good work. It's not a bad work. It's not a shameful work. It's something where we want to grow. And so God is, is gently convicting us of sin so that we can grow and become more like Jesus. For those of you who have families, your kids need to see you doing that. They need to hear you doing that. Talk to them about that. You know what will happen when your kids hear that? They already know you're like what you are. <laughs> it's no secret. Often I'm discovering things about myself that Diane's known for years. <laughs> and so we need to delight in this. This is a good work. That's what Paul calls it. This is a good work. Sometimes it doesn't feel good when you first have to face the sin. That's true. I don't always. There's a sting to it sometimes. But there's also a joy in coming out the other side. So I don't want to be teachable before God. I want to learn when I'm not loving the way God wants me to love. I want to love my neighbor the way I love myself. I want to praise and adore God for this amazing work that he's doing inside of me. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in a similar matter in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought to always give thanks. There's that word again, thanks. We should always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification. There's that word again by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Spirit is the one in charge of your sanctification and he's under orders from Jesus. That's beautiful and it's wonderful. So, you know, don't hide your sins when you're convicted of sin because you're slowing down and, you know, the work of sanctification. Please don't just say, I'm ashamed. And I'm guilty because of that doesn't help anything. Take it to the Lord. Rejoice. And so that's why we have a confession of sin every week, because it reminds us of what we should be doing through the rest of the week. This is what it means to walk with a personal relationship with our Lord and our Savior, who's more concerned about our Christ-likeness than we are, and who's faithful then to work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God saves us, God finishes what he started. So the day of Christ when Jesus returns again, 
That will be a day we'll see him face to face. We'll no longer have a sin nature. We'll be justified by Jesus, sanctified by Jesus, glorified by Jesus. And all of this because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. I hope that causes joy to know that he's doing it. You know, last week I used for benediction, I'm going to use it again today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, because it speaks to this very thing. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's that word again. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. He's doing it. Can anyone say amen? Again? Amen? Do you believe it? So be it. Yes? So, okay, I want to hear it one more time. Amen. amen. Glory to God. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you and praise you for this great work you're doing in us, and we thank you for the joy that you give us. We thank you for the amazing love that you've poured out upon us and continue to pour out upon us. And we thank you for our future and the hope that we have in you. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.